everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is your 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Mr. Petey Pob, and with me I have three amazing co-hosts, three people who have been around 40k for aeons and aeons, and who know the ins and outs of everything. I'm probably spitting out a little hyperbole there. However, they are really awesome. Uh, we got Brandon Grant. It's really good to be back, Pablo. Welcome back, buddy. Uh, Mr. James Carmona. Happy to be here. And then finally, my shoutcaster in crime from this weekend, Scary. Coming off of those combat drugs. Ooh, all right. So, <laughs> if you did, <laughs> uh, you're wondering why Scary pumped himself full of more combat drugs than normal. Uh, right. That was because we shoutcasted this weekend for the Iron Halo uh, Iron Halo Con, Iron Halo Major that happened in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. It is one that happens every year, and we as a community and the TO were very fortunate to be able to experience a Major finally in 9th edition 40k. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the largest 40k tournament of the season, which if you were to tell me that the largest 40k tournament of the season were barely over 100 players six months ago, I would have called you crazy. But here we are now, and I'm very, very happy and thankful to witness the 100-person major, and it happened with all the health regulations that you expect uh, coming in today or happening in today's current atmosphere. So I was super proud of Jason, the guy who ran the whole thing, um, and uh, just a quick silent golf clap round of applause for all the people who put the Iron Halo together and the people who ran the stream and brought that event for us. Golf clap. Golf clap, and uh, sorry to burst your bubble, but the Red Rock Exterminatist GT had a hundred and some players, the same as the Iron Hill. Just saying. So, so okay, saying. so the Red Rock Exterminatist GT, I did see that on 40kstatscenter.com. <laughs> I think, uh, Peter, you need to change that because it says that it's a 32 person GT in the player, uh, in the event. And then uh, when you click on it on the top, it says 108 players. So, uh, Peter. The Falcon, the head of the 40kstats.com, needs to get his uh, stats together. What is it? Um, I'm pretty sure it's a 32-person uh, GT, considering there are only five rounds. But either way, we're talking about the Iron Halo this episode, because <laughs> that's what we shoutcasted. So, that's right. All right. Uh, before we jump into that, of course, this episode was brought to you by Frontline Gaming. Go over there at FrontlineGaming.org. Buy stuff. They sponsor the podcast. Reese uh, tells me to put it in every episode, and I'm going to add it in the front this time because I feel like it, but there'll also be an ad for it in the middle of it as well. Uh, and then also, if you want to support the podcast, go to Patreon, patreon.com slash chapter tactics. All right. Let's go ahead and nip this in the bud early. There was a lot of good stuff that happened this weekend. It was everything I expected out of Major. We got to see a top-level player really show us that Ninth Edition is can be beaten, can be learned, and he is still on top. That it was Mr. John Lennon, Congratulations to him. Spoiler alert, he did win the whole thing, but he did so in very magnificent fashion, being the only player to go 6-0, uh, and with a really, really awesome Space Marine list. Yes, I know, Space Marines, bleh, but he did really well, and it's actually a pretty cool list. Uh, it'll probably be one that people copy um, for months and months, but for now, it is John Lennon's list, or maybe possibly Art of War slash Team Brohammer's list. Either way, congratulations to John Lennon. Uh, you definitely showed us how how to break 9th edition and how to play it well. 
Also, there was some drama and some controversy, which we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, ooh, juicy, juicy drama. Um, always love that stuff. It is tournament drama, drama too, um, which uh, I am uh, personally a big fan of. I love the narrative of events. What about you three? How much do you care about the narrative of tournaments? It's all about the story, Pablo. I think so. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a narrative, but I would say that um, we don't want to set any bad precedents. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, all right. And then, uh, of course, we'll talk about the top 10, which was actually, uh, it did have a lot of Space Marines, but there was actually some surprises there in the top 10 as well, too, as well as some missing factions that I, I would have expected to make the top 10, but didn't. So uh, we'll probably talk about the top 11, because the top 11 players all went 5-1 and one or better. Um, so we'll go ahead and do that. But first, let's talk about the big elephant in the room, and that was the controversy. So if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are also in the Competitive 40k Facebook group or in Reddit, uh, or any of the other avenues where people consume competitive 40k content and talk about competitive 40k. Uh, and that was the controversy around the beer cozies uh, being played as proxies at the Iron Halo. And so uh, this is all something uh, that I talked to the TO. I got all the facts. Um, I, I made sure to, to figure out what happened before we talked about it. And so here's essentially what happened as a quick rundown. Uh, and then we'll just briefly talk about it. And then we'll move on because we have a whole lot more to talk about. So what happened? Uh, essentially, an orc player at the Iron Halo uh, showed up, uh, traveled there, and forgot his mech guns at home, um, which is a real bummer. And so a uh, judge at the Iron Halo made the judge call to allow him to play with beer cozies as proxies for the mech guns. However, he would not be allowed to score the 10 points for a battle-ready painted army at the event. Uh, now, the, this orc player played a couple uh, rounds, played two rounds to be exact, at the Iron Halo before Jason Horn, the head TO of the Iron Halo, found out. Uh, now, uh, Jason's already uh, issued a statement. You can find it on Competitive 40K on uh, the Iron Halo Facebook group. Uh, and essentially, the statement goes as follows. Uh, Jason uh, was unaware that this had happened, that this judge had made this call. Um, how, and the Iron Halo organization is sorry that to, to all the players who um, maybe weren't... Uh, basically, um, basically, all the players who attended the event... Um, they apologize for this, and they're going to, moving forward, be stricter about rules uh, and how they make that specific ruling in the future. Uh, and Jason did say that if he had found out as a TO, if he had made that ruling himself, he wouldn't have allowed the player to play in the event, which I personally think would have definitely been the right call. However, I've also been a part of uh, TOing these large events uh, and also judging these events, too. And I know for a fact that when you're TOing these events, especially someone like Jason, when you're at a uh, a con, a hotel ballroom, and you're, you know, you're um, orchestrating over a hundred people to play in a game. Plus you've got all your staff helping you and all that. It is very hard to keep uh, a pulse on everything that's going on in your event. And so that's why you have judges to kind of make those smaller calls uh, when you're not around. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's happened at the LVO before where a judge has made a call that wasn't necessarily the right call. However, uh, it happens. We're all human. Um, what's more important is that moving forward, the Iron Halo already made the stance that they're going to change that ruling. You're not going to see that kind of ruling in the future. Um, so that's what happened there. Uh, the player was disqualified uh, at the end of day one um, because they had a they posted a 90 plus point score, which if you don't know, is impossible if you're not if you are not getting the 10 points for having a battle ready painted army. So that was the controversy there. From what I understand, uh, overall everyone was still happy. It got it got nipped in the butt early, and uh, the player um, in question was in good spirits. Understood that they were that they were kind of like in the wrong there. 
Um, and so overall, no harm, no foul. Um, I'm glad we as a community got to talk about it a little bit and kind of set that precedent going forward. Uh, and if you are a player, um, give your TOs and judges a little slack. Uh, they are doing the best they can. And uh, we are not exactly getting a lot of practice as well at events right now, too. So, Scary, Brandon, James, anything more to add to any of that? I think it was well said. Uh, you know, I feel like the organizers did what they needed to do at the time with what it was. And, uh, you know, it's funny, as as the tournament scene becomes more and more, like, shoutcasted and more and more broadcast across the world with internet, you know, things like this, you know, they, they tend to happen and they be they become sort of like sensations and go viral almost. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think that this is actually something that would be considered a a pretty minor infraction that could have been cleaned mm -hmm. up relatively easily. Um, but since this is, the, like you said, the biggest event that we've had since COVID, of course, there's going to be, you know, uh, you know, a light on every little misgiving that might come up. So, I mean, I, I think all in all, it seems like you guys all handled it pretty well. And Jason Horn did a, did a good job of just kind of squashing it and moving on. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of squashing it and moving it on, let's get that topic out of here and talk about the other cool thing that was not necessarily 40k related. And that was the shoutcasting and the uh, tournament itself. Uh, I loved the coverage personally. There was uh, for the finals, there was about 100, 150 people watching, which uh, is not exactly Fortnite numbers. However, for uh, COVID-19 40k competitive 40k numbers, that's that's pretty big. That's triple digits. So uh, that that was super cool. Um, we did have a lively chat talking, um, and it, it was just it was a great event to watch. Uh, the streaming was great. The camera crew did an amazing job. Um, I think going forward. I, I cannot wait to see what we come out with in um, 2021 and the new IT season. season. Hopefully all of this is behind us uh, because watching streams, 40K streams online is actually getting very, very interesting. Um, so it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, did Brandon and James, did either of you get a chance? Well, James, I know you didn't, but Brandon, did you get a chance to watch any of the stream? Um, unfortunately, I have a two-week-old child, so I didn't get the chance. Fair enough. Yeah, you know, I say I say start them early, but I respect your decision. To not, uh, I'm joking, uh, but yeah, that's that is uh, that that's totally reasonable. Uh, Scary, did you catch any of the stream while you were uh, not shoutcasting? Well, I uh, get yeah, a little bit of the final round actually. Um, you know, I got to see John Lennon use a drop pod to his advantage, fantastically. You know, just little things that we do as uh, as the game goes. Yeah. And uh, and then I had to sort of like move on and, and do other stuff because I had family over. But yes, it was fun to see. And the camera angles were great. They had three different camera angles. And um, it's good to have shoutcasters that kind of know what they're talking about because then you can really sort of dive into the game and what's going on instead of just being like, oh, I wonder what they're doing over here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and um, so I actually kind of want to talk about that final. Um, actually, no, we'll wait. We'll we'll talk about that specific round later because um, there was so many juicy, juicy tactics and, and bits of information that you could glean just from watching that final alone. Uh, at, you know, it was just it was great. Um, and on top of that, uh, you can watch all of the games, not just that game on uh, Lord Marshall TV on Twitch. So if you're interested in that, you can watch the replays for all of those games. I believe they'll also be put on uh, ironhalo.org, uh, the website ironhalo.org. So if you're interested in that, check that out. Also, if you want to look at the lists, they are on Best Coast Pairings. It, is, it was a sponsored event, so I think there's still like one more day. So you might have to subscribe to BCP to look at those lists. I'm not exactly sure, but um, you, they are on BCP if you want to look at all of the lists at the Iron Halo. 
Um, but we're going to talk about the top 11 because those are the people who went 5-1. and one. And uh, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Do any of you lads have the list or should I just list them off? Uh, I can just go right now. I also All right, Brandon. Right here too. All right, so, Brandon, take it away. Uh, I still liked John Lennon's White Scars list from last year um, at the SoCal Open. So this is definitely a nice update, and it has a lot of little tricks to it, so I'll try and cover them while we're going. So he's got a battalion. Um, oh, okay, hold on, hold on. Uh, I believe I miscommunicated here. Uh, we were going to go over the lists. I'll list all 11 lists and their factions first. And then talk about the lists breaking down. But I appreciate the readiness. Okay. Um, so then, let's I, I will start with start. the top 11. So go. in first place, uh, we had Mr. John Lennon with White Scars. Uh, as Brandon uh, was just alluding to, it was a very interesting list. A lot of cool stuff. In second place, we had Mr. Ben Sherwin with Black Templars. A really awesome Black Templars list. And yes, they are good. Scarry, have a little faith. Oh, what do you mean? Have a, I? I'm. I've always had faith. What are you talking about? Uh, it's very nice to see them up there, though. Right on. And then uh, third place, we had Ryan Snyder with an Adeptus Custodes list. One that James kind of called out as one we would see more of a couple podcast episodes ago. So good job, James. And fourth place, we had Sean Dilly running Chaos, a uh, really interesting Chaos list um, with a really nasty Lord of Change strat um, combo. Um, Matthew Runde. Matt, uh, actually, Matthew Rund, uh, Matt, uh, running Harlequins in fifth place. Scott Thompson uh, in sixth place with Salamanders. Jeremiah Pittet uh, in seventh place with Custodes. A different Custodes list than the one that came in third place, by the way. Uh, Alexander Kuhn in uh, eighth place with Blood Angels. Dan Sammons in ninth place with an Imperium list. It's really just Sisters of Battle and Salamanders, who unfortunately couldn't beat out John Lennon for first place in the top table. Uh, John Champ, my boy John Champ, the nicest guy in Bartlesville, and there's a lot of nice people in there, so it lets you know how nice he is, but John Champ's a great guy with Colt Mechanicus uh, coming in 10th place, and then Tim Penny in 11th place of Team Brohammer with Salamanders as well, and those are your 5-1 and one factions and players. Congratulations to all of you who went 5-1. and one. That is a big achievement, a 100-person event. Going 5-1 and one is a big deal. That's not something that people do very often, so congratulations. Now, Brandon, you were saying? So, uh, it's a battalion of White Scars, and for those who can't remember White Scars, their chapter bonus is if you're in Assault Doctrine, all your weapons are plus one damage, which is pretty good. Um, they can also advance and charge, which is pretty great as well. So they're fast, and they're going to beat you up and when they get there. And also fullback and charge, too. Oh, man. just gross. Oh, man, that's so good. <laughs> White so, Scars are crazy. He's got to start a captain with a jump pack, but instead of going for a thunder hammer, he took the relic chainsword teeth of Terra, so he's strength five, AP two, two damage, three damage if he ends up in assault doctrine AP three. Uh, he he took an extra warlord trait, so he gets plus one attack and strength on the charge, and also rerolls any or all of the dice when charging. Um, so this guy is gross. He Super has solid. Nice. Plus Plus four plus D three attacks on the charge if he's using Chagorian Storm, which is another ability he has. So it's just he's gonna roll a fistful of dice with one model that's not gonna fail charges. Um and is still a smash captain, so he's reasonable to get rid of. It's just a gross model. Um he's also got a chaplain, which is a master of sanctity, so he has re-rollable uh litanies. So only one in nine times will he actually fail a litany and he gets to cast two of them. 
Um, the important one he has uh, for litanies is strike off the head, which is reroll to wound and melee in an aura of six inches, which is just gross for white scars. Um, and he's got the plume of the plains runner, which is plus one to your advanced charge, or just plus one to advance. I forget which. Um, but either way, he's just going to make you faster. He's going to make you complete your charges better, and then he's going to make sure that when you get into combat, you murder whatever it is you're fighting. And then he's got Khan. And Khan has an aura of plus one to wound. It's not Khan on a bike, it's Khan on foot. Um, so if all of these characters are next to a big melee unit, then they're just going to murder you. Even a small melee unit's going to do a lot more damage with these guys. And they're not that expensive. They're all about 100 points. So that's a great start to the list. Uh, then he just has some troops. He has a regular intercessor squad of five, two scout squads of five, uh, with combat weapons, a couple blade guard veteran squads of three. Uh, a Judiciar, which is the character that can make you strike last when you're attacking him, which is amazing. It's it's re- he used it really well too. He uh, played uh, Blood Angels player, um, or I guess I think there was a Smash Captain. Oh, maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was a different. But anyways, I saw Judiciary uh, basically shut down a uh, uh, Smash Captain, and uh, it was it was magnificent. Oh yeah, whatever that Judiciar is standing next to. You cannot charge it with one unit that kills it because the Judiciar will shut you down. And then he's White Scars. He's just going to murder you um, in return before you get to swing. So be on the lookout for that guy. Then he has some of my least favorite two-faced units in the whole Space Marine Codex. Um, He has a five-strong Plasma and Scepter squad, which, if you're a squad of six or more models, is going to shoot 30 times. Um which is just gross and they you know they natively can come in from reserve anywhere on the table if he needs them to or they can start on the board use their fly keyword move 10 and shoot 18 inches it's just it's a lot of firepower in one unit you can also double move them too to move 20 inches which saw john lennon do as well so you can double move them move 20 inches snipe out a character because they're uh, assault weapons charge what's up they're assault weapons aren't they uh yeah i believe so so he can advance and do that too Yep. It, it's anyways. Go on. I didn't mean to. No, no, that's excellent. Thank you for adding that. And then uh, he has two outrider squads of three. Uh, the outriders are the big chunky Primaris bikes, and they're just really solid at getting rid of chaff units and being annoying. And they're reasonably tough. Um, and then the best part of the list is, um, or the part that I least like, are two devastator squads with four grav cannons, men squads of five, with an armorium share of each. Um, these squads put out a gross amount of firepower, and because he has two, um, he can reserve one or both of them and have them come in on turns two and three and use the strat to re-roll the damage roll and the wound roll on them each time that they come in. And I believe, yeah, the captain is not a chapter master, so he can't re-roll all shots, but he can at least re-roll ones as they come in. He also um, has that rhino in there for the yeah, devs rhino. if he wants to put the devs in a rhino and then just bring out one at a time sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. he has a rhino, an impulsor, and two landspeeder storms. And the thing that I thought was really interesting is the landspeeder storm is just about the cheapest single model that you can get uh, in the Space Marine Codex. So it's not really there for damage. It seems ideal for screening out enemy reserves and taking enemy objectives away from them as you clear them off. So yeah, it also, also holds the scouts. Keeps the scouts alive. Yes, you can start the scouts in it if you really want to. Yeah, it, I mean it, it's it's insane because because it, it's such a fast model, right? So you can take an opponent's objective and then uh, spread them out thin, 
and when your opponent shoots the Lannister Storm, the scouts get out and just hold the objective still. It's it's very, very good. I actually really like the Lannister Storms. For 55 points, they're, they're an absolute I steal. Mean, they're only T5, 7 wounds. Yeah, um, but it's like a better version of a Venom with some warriors in it, right, Scary? Yeah, yeah basically. it's basically it's like a very cheap version of that. You know, you've got space rings inside, they can shoot out of it. There's some cool stratagems you can use with it as well. Like, it's a very versatile, essentially like a Venom squad, basically. Now, the thing about this list that was really interesting to me is he didn't try and go for a Death Star of any kind with melee. It's pretty much all the characters. Now, between the characters, um, he can probably, with the math, doing this ahead of time, take a three-man squad of Blade Guard, and with all the buffs, kill an Imperial Knight in one round of combat. Like, no joke. Because you're wounding them on fours with the plus one strength, um, re-rollable because of the litany, um, and you're plus one damage, so you're flat damage three in Assault Doctrine. So just one squad of Blade Guard veterans can just knock over Imperial Knight no problem. It's it's just... Amazing. I can't see this without thinking like this is what Chaos used to do both in eighth and early ninth year. Uh yes. was stack characters and make one unit absolutely bananas. But it seems like this is just gonna outstripe Chaos altogether because you're using units that are good by themselves already without the buffs. Yeah, well, yeah, well not like, only that uh, not only that, James, I agree with you, is also Chaos had the best buffs against Imperium and Space Marines. But Space Marines get these buffs against everyone. Flat out. Yeah, I mean, but just re-rolling the wound with, with you know, quality attacks like Blade Guard can put out, that's insane. Rerolling um, wounds and plus one to wound is something that only Chaos, I think, yep. had in combat. The um, other thing I it, really like about this, um, I'm going to interrupt you, I'm sorry. I, I, um, I really like that everything about this list can be hidden or start off the board. So when you go first against him, there's nothing good to deal with. Yeah, very, very flexible. That that was the only thing that actually wasn't a contribute before you did that was just the flexibility and the speed of the list is is a little bit like a little bananas, a little crazy because it doesn't seem like it on paper. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh yeah, it's fast, it can it can rush at you, get to your characters, it can outshoot some aspects of people's armies, it can shoot pretty well, well enough anyways, to accomplish what it needs to, and it, it can, can handle shoot. a variety of different um army lists and um uh, situations it can shoot extremely well with three units that can all be reserved if he needs them to yes <laughs> all right all right so um i think that's it scar do you have anything else to add on Jen, john lens before we move on um not not really you know he's been practicing with this list you know he's uh you know one of the coaches on the art of war so he's always like doing practice games and really kind of testing his his limits on the live streams and whatnot that we do you know every week over there and it's just nice to see that like when that that hard work pays off you know you put your head down and then you just apply what you've learned all right now james do you want to take over talking about ben sherwin's black templar list ah uh, sure um so I mean, first off, it's awesome that you can say there's a Black Templar as a list doing well, right? Um, so, five and one is definitely respectable. Uh, he started off with um, High Marshal Helbrick, uh, Primaris Chaplain, and Primaris Lieutenant. We were trying to talk about um, a couple things before the stream uh, started uh, in regards to the way that he lined up his uh, Warlord traits because he did pay um, the one CP for uh, Hero of the Chapter. Um, and usually uh, they have a, a, a locked um, 
a locked warlord trait. So I'm assuming that he did that all correctly. Um, either way, it, it, this this list is just super cool. I mean, it's got aggressors, got blade guard veterans, two squads of them. Um, he also has the ever present uh, eradicator eradicator squads, um, two of them, and the devastator unit that John was bringing. Same thing. Um, but the the centerpiece of this list is the terminator assault squad. He went he went bananas with that. It was ten of them, thunder hammer and storm shield. Super cool. Um, Brandon, really really cool. Yeah, Brandon and I were talking about this beforehand, just how difficult it is to move that unit. Yeah, so I didn't actually know that. I knew there were Terminators. Uh, I didn't know there were Thunderhammer Assault Terminators. Uh, little, like, six years ago, 6th edition PD Pob is screaming right now because he hasn't seen 10 Terminators in a tournament in a list since he put them out there and got stomped at a local RTT in San Diego. Not just any Terminators, Black Templar Terminators. Yeah, Black yeah, Templar, exactly. Storm Shield, Thunderhammer Terminators. Um, but, you know, it, you, James is right. They're hard to move. Go, go on, James. I just wanted to Yeah, say, no, that's no problem. I guess, um, see, I, I didn't actually get to see the, the tournament stream, but this list is just super cool to look at. Um, Scary, I don't know if you got to see the delivery method for them, but uh, you I woke mean, them up the table. That's basically. what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, they, that's really cool. The chaplain gives him a five plus uh, feel no pain because he has a litany to give him a five plus feel no pain, and you just oh, woke him up the table with a an apothecary to bring them back to life. And they have the ability to advance and charge, so they're quite fast. They can reroll any of the dice rolls for charging. And they also have access to some really cool stratagems like Devout Push, that is one of the coolest like stratagems that uh, is like very underrated, and I don't see people understanding what it does until they have it used against them. Where you so can... what is it? So Devout Push is a stratagem from the Faith and Fury Psychic Awakening book for Black Templars. And it allows any Black Templar, so at the start of any fight phase, so this is any fight phase, you can use you can use it for one CP on any Black Templar infantry or biker unit. And that unit can immediately pile in. So let that oh. sink in. And then when it consolidates, so when it fights, when, when it's its turn to consolidate and then consolidate six inches. But what that allows you to do is to pile in. You're not declaring a charge. You're not like, you're just piling in. So you can sort of heroically intervene in your opponent's turn if you want to for a CP, if something's close enough. You can advance and pile in. You can get out of a moving impulsor and pile in after you get out of it, after it moves. Like, there's so many cool things you can do with that stratagem. Yeah, I didn't even know that existed. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things, too, where I I bet you there's a little bit of contention as to the exact interpretation of what's allowed with a pile-in, right? You don't have to be in combat is the way that he's obviously playing it. Yeah, no, it was was FAQ'd, where you can just do it even if you're not within an inch of the enemy units. Yeah. That's amazing. that's super good. Because it is really, really good. After your opponents declare charges, even if your unit's all the way across the table, you can be like, well, now I'm going to move nine inches towards you during your fight phase. And now it's my turn. So I'm nine inches closer when I start my turn. 
So it, it's it's a pile in, right? So it's not a consolidate. You just you pile in and no, then... you pile in and then when you consolidate, you can move six. So in order to be able to consolidate, you have to be engaged because you'd have to Got activate. It. That makes but it gives sense. you you give it gives you a three inch free move. The key is that it can be used essentially after you fall back, after you advance and not ha- and not have to use the advance and charge. My favorite is using it out of the impulsor because you can't charge after you get out of a moving impulsor. But a unit of blade guard getting out of an impulsor that moved and then moving the blade guard and advancing the blade guard only to then pile into you, you know, that's a lot of movement you get out of a unit of Black Templar that is blade really guard. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Now... Uh- James, he's got all the all, he's got all the normal shooting that you'd expect. Like you said, he's got the Devastator Squad, the Eradicators. Um, he's got some incursors in there, some aggressors. So he definitely has the shooting. However, John Lennon skewed the Eradicators, which um, definitely goes against the norm. Uh, normally, people take Eradicators in every Space Marine list. How do you how do you see people like what's the what do you think is the reason for not taking Eradicators versus taking them? Um, and do you think it mattered here? Like if Ben and John had played, do you think that uh, that would have been the difference there? Um, right, well, I'm I'm seeing this from a different perspective. I'm just like you guys are all spoiled for options. I mean, eradicators are really good, and so are grav, uh, the grab devastators. But in this particular case, if you're talking about just like pure, you know, use and ease of use, and and how many points it costs, I mean, the the grab devs are 120 points with the cherub. I you can't go wrong. So in this particular case, I do think that, you know, John has kind of found a unit that is, in fact, even more reliable than the uh, the Melta rifles on the uh, Eradicators. So I think that I would I would give the the edge in shooting to John clearly. Um, and then he's got some some really cool tricks that would um, would, would make the uh, the assault from this white this um, from this Black Templars list uh, blunted in a way. All right. Now, uh, let's go and move on to the next list. So, uh, third place, Mr. Ryan Snyder. Scar, do you want to take this one away? Yes, absolutely. So, Mr. Ryan Snyder, you know, went down, rolled some dice. Now, Custodies are one of these very interesting, you know, lists where I've been seeing a lot of variety. Like, there's very few units, but not all the lists are the same, which is always very interesting to me. You know, you see, like, elements like Alar- like the Alaris Custodians or, you know, the Telamon Dreadnought here and there. But what he went for was a Shield Company of Shadow Keepers. This is a patrol detachment. Um, and... That allows them to use a, a stratagem, a special stratagem that makes you have minus one strength when you shoot at a unit or when you fight them, basically. Uh, so your you know, strength six guns become strength five, and all of a sudden you're wounding on fives or you know sixes or whatever. It's it's really useful. So he has a a warlord, a shield captain on a Dawn Eagle jet bike with a salvo launcher. Um, he's yeah, he's pretty cool. He's got uh, the Slayer of the Unclean. He's got the M. Emperor's Companion and the Auric Aquilas. He has a shield captain in Alaris Terminator armor with a Castellan axe and a grenade launcher, uh, the Eagle's Eye, and he is a Lock Warden for mine for another CP as well. So he has a three pin bull. Mm. Then we have the three custodian guard with spears, with pyrite spears. And he has four praetors, so these are the jet bikes with salvo launchers. He has three Praetors with Salvo Launchers, so these are the jet bikes. Two Caladius Grav Tanks, 
with the standard loadout, the Arachnus Heavy Blaze Cannon and the Twin Lastrum Bolt Cannon. And then last but not least, he has decided to run an Ares gunship with a Bla- Magna Blaze Cannon, two Arachnus Heavy Blaze Cannons, and two Firebombs, which uh, have the ability to do up to 20 mortal wounds each, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. They're great against like hordes, but they also have some pretty good anti-tank damage. And this thing is massive. It's like five pounds of resin. It's like a giant thing that goes on the table. Yeah, just in case you lose, you can just throw it at your opponent for the win. You know, as long as you bring <laughs> a very big sock. So, so I, I love this list. It It is a very much an anti-Space Marine list. Everything about it, the two characters are so hard to kill. Uh, Blade Guard veterans and Eradicators are going to shoot into these guys and are actually going to have a difficult time killing them. I'm not going to say it's impossible. Uh, you, will, you do have to be careful with them still. However, uh, the Terminator captain can deep strike down, just throw his weight around the board. He's only still cheap. He's 115 points, which is absurd for what you get out of a... a Custodes, uh Captain and Terminator armor. So uh, that's really cool. And then obviously you've got the Don Eagle Jet Bike Captain, which is which is solid. You can do a lot of stuff with that, a lot of tricks. Uh, the two Virtus Praetor bikes with the Salvo Launchers are really good. That that enables them to kind of take out some of the tougher Marine targets. Uh, and then obviously the two Clades Grab Tanks and the Ares Gunship um, are actually very difficult to kill for uh, Space Marines. And then the Clades Grab Tanks can also double as charge blocking with the minus two, the Grab wave things or grab gravitic backwash whatever their ability is called um so yeah we'll use that and couple it with Tanglefoot. that's the, that's the that's the plan. oh yeah that's the key yeah, 100%. It's, it's also very hard to score secondaries against this that have to do with your opponent at all and you'll find a lot of the lists that have been doing very very well at the top tend to have elements built in where your, your opponent doesn't really score many secondaries off of them so that does help especially you know when if you're doing like you know, scramblers or raising the banners or whatever it is, like custodians can just go in and murder whatever it is that you need to score your points. Yeah, absolutely. And in ninth edition, uh, what we're noticing is that secondaries are a lot harder to score. Uh, you're not maxing your secondaries like you do in, uh, like you did last year or last season um, in ITC missions. So it's a, uh, it's, it's definitely a different ball game. Um, it's very hard to score points on units. And uh, I love lists like this, uh, even though it is very, very expensive. Those forgeable, that forgeable resin is not cheap. All right. Uh, finally, the fourth place list, we're going to talk about Sean Dilly. Uh, I'm going to be the one explaining this. I did get to see Sean play this list live, uh, and uh, he did win. It was it was a very, very good game. Um, and this Chaos list is really good. Um, so it's Chaos Undivided. Um, first off, he starts off with a Death Guard Battalion with um, uh, play company, the Harbingers, which I have no idea what that does. Uh, <laughs> we went over this on stream, Pablo. We did. I forgot. We did. Uh, has a basically allows you to deep strike uh, units of boxwalkers oh, yes. if you want, and it'll well outflank technically, not deep strike. And then it also allows you to basically, if one of your units dies, the unit that killed your unit takes takes D three mortal wounds. So yes, you can I like remember. damage enemy units. Yeah, when you when you die, the, basically the deep striking. Yeah, it's only in the five phase though. Uh, it, only, it only does the mortal wounds in the fight phase. Okay, cool. All right, so he has a Lord of Contagion, uh, a Malignant Plaguecaster, a uh, one unit of seven Plague Marines um, with uh, Flails of Corruption. Um, he's got two Poxwalkers, that's the troops. He's got a Biologist Putrefier, two Fouled Lightspawn, one Noxious Blightbringer, a uh, Tallyman, three units of Chaos Spawn. I believe there are only three, three man strong. 
five, three, three five, five, three times oh, five. Sorry. Yep, I see them right there. Boom. Five five spawns strong, a Plague Burst Crawler, a Terex Pattern, Termite Assault Drill, and then a Chaos Undivided uh, regular detachment with a Lord of Change, with the Impossible Robe, Infernal Gateway, and all that good stuff. Uh, two units of Nurglings, and that is it. That is the list. So, this list is really good. Uh, the Chaos Spawn are uh, absolute houses. Uh, they are very, They can be very, very durable with all the buffs that the Death Guard um, give them. And then what, what we saw him do on stream in, on Sunday was he actually parked that impossible to kill Lord of Change right up in the middle of the board and just started channeling uh, for the secondary for um, uh, the Psychic one where the you ritual? have to be six inches from the board edge. Psychic Ritual, yeah. Psychic Ritual, yes, that one. Um, so it, it's a very, very good list. Uh, James, what do you think about it? You're the Chaos player here. It's super solid. I mean, uh, the Death Guard portion is super hard to kill, but um, as I'm looking at this list, Pablo, and this is probably not the time to do it, but it appears to me that this list is, in fact, illegal. He has five elites in a battalion. You cannot do that. I believe, uh, I believe it, has you're allowed to, to have six. six. Yes, you can yeah, have six. I, I believe the oh, battalion unless you have six. Yeah, Shit. that was a change yeah, then you can just edition. take that out. You just that, that's okay. Don't worry about it. We get that. rules wrong sometimes. My bad. Yeah, my, I'm sorry. No, nah, no worries. Okay, it's well, okay. Either way, so here the, the strength in this list is 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 obviously going to be in its durability. He's got the impossible robe, um, exalted Lord of Change. But what's also really really hard to kill are those three by five squads of chaos spawn with contaminated monstrosity. Oh my goodness, that is a lot to take away from the board. Um, also, the fact that you've got these poxwalkers that can pretty much be deep struck anywhere on the board. Um, and the plague marines can act like a you know, like the hammer to to this anvil here because you know with the blight launchers and the flails and everything he's got in there, he can run in and pretty much remove anything in the game, you know, uh, via one shooting phase or one one assault phase. Um, it, it looks like this list is built just to basically stay on top of objectives for as long as it possibly can hold out, while punishing you for trying to get near it. Foul yeah. blight spawn make you swing last um, within a seven inch bubble. Um, the tally man keeps everything consistent in combat on hitting and the plague burst crawler is the only thing on here. I think that's maybe a little out of place, but it does its job. It can sit in the back. It can raise banners. Um, and let's see here. The, uh, the, the termite is one of my favorite units so to use good. with them. And it's because you can throw your plague Marines in there. They can jump out and they can start doing their, their dirty deeds right away. Um, and of course the last thing you need in every chaos list is a nurgling unit and he's taken two of them. Jumping on top of objectives early, move setting up move blocks. It's all stuff that Chaos um, has, has always used, and it's really, really powerful in ninth. Yeah, and, and not only that, too. It, it is uh, also very, very fast. It can reach out and get you, um, especially on these smaller board sizes as well, too. Uh, and also, that Lord of Change is, is an absolute linchpin. He can do so much with it. it. He obviously, in the game we played, he used it just as Psychic Ritual, just as Psychic Ritual the first three turns, and then cleaned house with it later on in the games. However, he can just throw that thing at you uh, and force you to deal with it while he takes over the entire center of the board. Um, or he can he can keep it in the back, fire off smites, pick off key units, kind of play real cagey with it, and then in the late game, clean up with it. Um, you do so much with that Lord of Change model, and it's it's I, I want to say it's like almost impossible to table this list, especially in, in 9th edition. Um, it's just, it's so good. It, it's such a really good durable list. And just so everybody's on the same page with us about um, what this Lord of Change is, um, you exalt a Lord of Change and you give it 
Um, I believe it's called uh, Aura of Mutability. Um, it's it gives you like a six up feel no pain, feel no pain. But on every successful feel no pain, it actually restores a wound to the model. Mm-hmm. You have that. Combat, you also yeah. have you subtract damage one damage, I think. Right, and then also you uh, you give it the impossible robe, which gives you a an effective three plus plus, and you get to reroll one of those once per game. And you give him that warlord trait that um, reduces damage by one. He's a yep. sixteen wound model. You can see that it's going to be really really difficult to bring him down. You're going to have to devote a lot more shooting or a lot more combat than you're going to want to 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 remove him. Also, I found out they're not titanic, so they're they're uh, in fact monsters and a little bit easier to hide. It's a very, very good list. Not, that's the top four. Not that you need to uh, hide that guy. He's pretty much immune to damage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, you put him in the center. Ju- just in case. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really, really good list. And I actually really like the top four for this. Uh, I know we did see two Space Marines. However, the, uh, the Space Marine lists are very different. They break apart. They kind of break away from the mold of the typical Space Marine list that we're seeing. Uh, even the White Scars list uh, ran by John Lennon isn't typically what you'd expect to see. Uh, obviously, he did have Blade Guard veterans. He had the Grav amp devastators um, but other than that it was kind of different from what you saw um out of other white scars lists um so it was very very more finessey uh there was a lot of stuff you could do with it and then obviously ben's list is is pretty awesome uh but yeah that was the top four um and then we're going to briefly talk about the other the rest of the top 11 starting with uh matthew runde's or matthew runs uh harlequin's list uh scary do you have this up or should i just go ahead and briefly name i it? have this up matthew runs so he's got his battalion attachment of Soaring Spite, which is, of course, advance and with your little boats and shoot pistols out of them, which is kind of cool. Also has a cool stratagem to fight and then jump back into a transport, which is also fun as well, uh, which combos really nicely with some of the other strats they got from Psychic Awakening. But you have a Shadow Seer with the Shadow Stone for a bigger aura of basically buffs essentially shield from harm twilight pathways veil of illusion and veil of tears so you're essentially doing this one with you know minus six inches to all the ranges within nine inches of him you know minus one to wound within nine inches like of anything that's within nine well infantry that can then be modified to the vehicles and bikes as well that that shadow is like a linchpin of this list then you have Achilles Troopmaster. Now this Troopmaster, he's a choreogra- choreographer of war, darkness bite with a fusion pistol, um, sky strider, so he can jump out of a transport after it moves, pivotal roll, and the twilight fang, as well. So, you know, he basically goes in, has a uh, like a super power sword that has one extra attack per um, per turn. It is. So on turn three, he has three extra attacks. Uh, every time he fights, he'll do two additional mortal wounds to you as well. And uh, he can get out of a transport that moves 22 inches and still move after. So he's like a pseudo super solitaire, I want to say. He's like the new age solitaire, pretty much. Uh, so he's really fun as well. Um, and uh, and at any six plus to wound made for him in the fight phase because of the warlord trait here will inflict an additional mortal wound in addition to normal damage. So he's like a little mortal wound machine. All for 70 points. All for yep. 70 points. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, then you have one, two, three, four units of five troops with five fusion pistols in each one, and then a couple of caresses and embraces in the squads. And then one larger foot unit, I believe that's 10 strong, with some caresses and kisses. That's more of like a heavy hitting 
troop unit on foot to screen characters and things like that uh, mid-game. A Death Jester with Humbling Cruelty, so it can shut up Overwatch, and it slows you down, which is actually a, a trait that a lot of people forget about Humbling Cruelty. And then three units of five Skyweavers with Haywire Cannons, and uh, four Zephyr Glaives in each unit. And then four Star Weavers. Four the units with uh, fusion pistols. This is a very, very strong list. Like it is, it is a good list. Yeah, th- this is the this is the kind of Harlequin list we've been seeing pop up and perform well uh, all out, all throughout Ninth Edition 40k tournaments. It's just it's such a nasty list. Harlequins got so good in Ninth Edition. Uh, you would have you would have seen a list like this in Eighth Edition as well. So that just kind of goes to show how little the points changes affected Harlequins. Um, they they basically got a straight buff, whereas everyone got their points increased. Um, but yeah, it's nasty. The, the the bikes are amazing. The infernal pistol or the inferno melta pistols on the mobile troops, kind of just going around doing work and also doubling down as troops and transports. It's good. It's a good list. All right. Uh, now, uh, Brandon or James, do either of you have uh the BCP app up for the sixth place list? Yeah, sure. All right, take it away, James. Okay, so this was Mr. Scott Thompson with the Salamanders uh, Space Marine list. Um, he started off with the Captain on a bike. Um, he's got the Salamanders mantle, and he's the Warlord, so I'm assuming he is the uh, the super bike mass chapter master or forge master. Uh, he's very, very hard to kill. Um, he's got a squad of scouts, uh, a squad of Bladeguard veterans, a Relic Contemptor Dreadnought, and let's see. Also, he has another detachment of salamanders, a Primaris Librarian, Primaris Lieutenant, um, with the Obsidian Aquila. He's got an aggressor squad with four aggressors in it, uh, auto Boltstorm cannons and Fragstorm grenade launchers, another Relic Contemptor Dreadnought with Cyclone Missile Launcher, um, and a Dreadnought melee weapon. He's got a squad of Devastators with uh, Grab Cannon, Grab Amp with the Cherub. And he's got two squads of Eradicators. And let's see, the last thing he has is a Relic Leviathan Dreadnought with Storm Cannon Arrays, a Drop Pod, and an Impulsor. So let's see here. Um, Brandon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to you on this one. I don't know the tricks of this one. I'm still trying to pull up the list here. That's fine. So, uh, so first up, he's got that that really badass toughness bajillion uh, smash captain salamanders captain on bike that you see everywhere. So, so that that guy, he's an absolute house. Um, he doesn't have a lot of infantry around here. You, you've only got the single scout squad and the one thing. He's got the one blade guard veterans, um, and then the aggressor squad on the other end. Um, so it, it's definitely it's definitely an interesting salamanders list. It kind of eschews the kind of flamer flamestorm aggressor. Kind of list with the with the Vulcan and the the kind of list that you saw kind of at the beginning of ninth edition um, for more vehicles. So the two relic and Tempter dreadnoughts can uh, with their cyclone missile launchers can put out decent amounts of firepower, but more importantly are absolutely hard to kill. Uh, you know, just moving up the board, right? So you've got three kind of hard hitting or hard to kill uh, dreadnoughts or dreadnought ish characters because I'm counting the characters of dreadnought. He's basically a super dreadnought. Um, you've got these three hard-hitting single-entity uh, units going up the board, kind of backed by some good Space Marine firepower. Uh, and then you've got the Relic Leviathan Dreadnought um, acting as kind of like a center a center fielder linchpin that can wipe, blast any unit off the board that he sees um, covering over the center of the board. So it's 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 a very cool list. I imagine he plays it all very tight, 
Um, it's not as mobile as you saw, you'd see other Space Marine lists. However, he still has the option to reserve. So you can definitely reserve that Relic Leviathan Dreadnought, some maybe the Eradicators. Uh, he has the drop pod for the Grav Cannon Devastators, so he can still put them in a drop pod and put them down. And it's just, it's a, it's a very good solid Salamanders list. Um, and I really like the Dreadnoughts. I, I'm kind of, kind of wish I, I could see it, see him play with the Dreadnoughts just to see how they perform. Um, because they are definitely the oddball, uh, that you would see, but with the Primaris Librarian Might of Heroes on one of them, uh, the ability to null zone to get into hard characters with invuln saves, it also makes them easier to kill Blade Guard veterans, takes away their invuln save, and then the Contemporary Dreadnought just easily crush them like, without question. Um, so it, it's it's a very good list. Yeah, it's nice to see. It's nice to see that like there's certain elements like that that are like similar. I'm curious to see how that sort of dynamic will change, like in a few weeks but we'll see yeah absolutely uh yeah all right uh we're gonna go ahead and move on with uh jeremiah pettit uh in seventh place well i just want to make sure it's correct yep jeremiah pettit in seventh place with adeptus custodes so this is the other custodes list that we saw and it's actually very different than the one in third place that we saw so first off we have a uh strike force detachment with uh the solar watch shield host um he's got a captain general trajan valoris uh, and then a shield captain on Don Eagle Jetbike with the Auric Achilles, and who is also the Warlord. Um, he's got Sagittarium Custodians, a unit of five of them. Uh, I don't know which one the Sagittarium Custodians are. Are those the Melta ones? Does anyone know? The Sagittarium are they Custodians. The, are Anyways. they the troop, the troop ones, right? Yeah, they're the troops. Yeah, they're they're, the I troop believe first. they're the Forgeral troops. They have like these cool, like, Stone uh, bolters, they basically shoot bolters. heavy bolters. Yeah, they oh, basically have like okay. heavy bolt. Yeah, yeah. So, but so it can turn into like ones. a disintegration beam instead, though. It's like strength five, AP three, three damage at fifteen yeah. inch range. Oh wow! So 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 they're actually really good at killing rains then. Um, and on top of just being normal custodes with the misericordias and the general tough body, uh, he's got a big unit of five Asculin custodians, um, a Vexilus Praetor with the Vexil Imperius, um, so not the not the minus one one. I think the Vexil Imperius. I think that one's different. Anyways, no, that's the uh, minus one. Is it the minus one one? Um, the uh, unit of Venatari custodians, uh, a unit of five of them. Those are the jump pack custodians that you see in Forge World um, with kinetic destroyers and bucklers. Uh, and then he's got two Telamon heavy dreadnoughts with the accelerator Culverin and the bolt launcher both and that that is it so i i'll be honest i don't i don't own any of these forge world models um so i imagine he got the drop on a lot of people uh because custodians they're very tough they have access to a lot of really cool rules um and then on top of that these are all forge world most of them are forge world models um so he probably has a lot of weird random things he can do that no one's expecting yeah he only has um, three models that are not forge world yep so uh, yeah. I like it. I like I like it, Jeremiah Pittet. Uh Pay to win. Use random obscure Forge World models. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just joking. He's also a really good player. <laughs> That's uh, I'm just giving yeah. him a little bit of a hard time there. In essence, but, um, it's a firebase list with the Dreadnoughts, but he can pull mm -hmm. off some amazing moves with those Aqualon Custodians coming in from reserve and making charges mm -hmm. if you come close to him. So he can try and dominate the shooting phase thanks to those dreadnoughts being exceedingly tough with strats combined with the minus one to be hit. And then um, 
I mean, heck, even his troops custodians are actually shooty. So he doesn't actually need to move that far forward to participate in the game, which is great. So it's a more defensive list, but it's not using the traditional Caladius grav tanks and flyers. It's using the dreadnoughts. Yeah, it's a very, very fascinating list. Um, I I wish I could add more because I don't know anything about any of those models. Except for the Telemons, but Brainerd already covered those. Uh, all right. Um, in eighth place, actually, uh, Scar, do you want to take the eighth place one? In eighth place, absolutely. Sorry, I just have to grab this real quick. My app, Blood Angels. My yeah, my phone decided to to go to sleep. Ah, Alexander with Blood Angels. So he was running <laughs> a battalion detachment, Blood Angels, uh, with an extra relic, Astarath, a which is basically a super chaplain, a captain with death visions, so making him basically death company, a jump pack, storm shield, angels wings. And a thunder hammer, so your classic smash captain. Five assault intercessors, five incursors, five incursors, which are the close combat version of the intercessor that uh, can pre-game move essentially or pre-game deploy. Two units of blade guard veteran, which by the way for 105 points, blade guard. I don't know if we've said this, it's just so good. So good. Uh, There's a reason every single list is running. Yeah. Uh, Death company. You have five death company with four thunder hammers. So that's more like a missile that you can throw at something together with the Smash Captain. The Sanguinary Ancient with the standard sacrifice, giving, you know, a six, a six uh, sorry, five up feel no pain bubble. Uh, Sanguinary Guard is five of them with two power fists and three axes. And then a Vanguard Veteran Squad with three with Storm Shield Thunder Hammer, one with a Lightning Claw and a Storm Shield, sorry, four with Storm Shield Thunder Hammer, one with a Lightning Claw. I guess you had points like he had to cut on points there two unit two outrider units with the the big bikers and three units of eradicators go figure yeah this is the kind of typical blood angels list i would have expected to see it's really good um the sanguine guard are surprisingly really durable they're a really durable tough unit you can deep strike anywhere and force your opponent to deal with um and then with the space marine buffs their their damage output is a lot higher Actually, um, running, running Sanguinary Guard in 8th edition, I always felt like their damage was kind of lacking a little, although they were surprisingly durable. Um, but in 9th edition, they, they are a lot better. Or I guess after the Space Marine buffs, excuse me. Um, so late 8th edition and uh, 9th edition, they're, they are a great. And then um, obviously the character support here is solid. Uh, Astaroth, uh, Chaplains are, are amazing in Space Marine lists, especially melee-focused Space Marine lists, which uh, this is. So Astaroth is really good. Um, and then, you know, Smash Captains and all that stuff. Your Assault Intercessors and Incursors can do work. This is just a good, classic, in-your-face Blood Angels list. With three Eradicators to kill Transports. Yeah, because like who doesn't like Eradicators? Eradicators are great, but I'm wondering how he was able to deal with clearing screens so that he could just bring in his uh, four Thunderhammer Death Company right on top of you and ignore Overwatch with his Jump Pack Captain. Yeah, I believe the death companies, um, the death company would have bolters. So I believe they come with bolter stock, and then you replace one of them with a thunder hammer or their chainsword with a thunder hammer. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I do remember death company having the ability to take bolt guns. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. There's not a ton of DACA in this um, outside of the sanguinary guard and the outriders. He, he might have been using the incursors to do that. Just using them as as screen clears because they're not exactly expensive and they can 
usually yeah, the, take the out quite points. a bit with their amount of attacks. Actually, they get. admittedly, mm-hmm. Alexander's only loss was to John Lennon, and it was a close game. Oh wow! Well, that, uh, well, he's doing something right. Yeah, that's definitely a tell. Like a lot of the times, you know, you get folks that lost their first game like early on in the tournament or whatever, but then you have people who lost their first game like you know round five or round six, you know, and those are always like the lists that hey, they went. They they went or yeah, what's it called in the stat center when uh, PD Pub's it called? He has like a name for it, like your average mm. when you when you lose your first game. Oh oh, uh, you're talking about the um. Oh my gosh, Val's gonna hate us. To be fair, Val, <laughs> we haven't used this term in a very very long time. Um, uh, tournaments, uh, lists and winning percentage. Um, T whip. T whip. There you go. Boom. Perfect. That's the one. Yep. (laughs) There you go. We love you, Val um, and uh, Peter. Still helped out this um, T-Whip losing in round four. So, um, yeah, that's a really good list. Um, There's not much else to say about it. It's it's a very typical typical kind of Blood Angels list. And I think that if you were looking for kind of like a, not a brain dead, but kind of an easier list to play um, in Blood Angels uh, and, and you were maybe struggling there, um, that that would be a good place to start because it is a very simple, very effective Blood Angels list. Uh, all right, in ninth place we had Mr. Dan Sammons. Uh, Dan, we also got to see live playing against John Lennon on the final table. Uh, Dan obviously did really, really well, and he has a, a Strike Force, a Bloody Rose Strike Force. Um, so punchy, punchy sisters um, with a Canonist with an Inferno pistol, a Relic, and a Beacon of Faith Warlord trait, who was actually the Warlord, uh, and then a Missionary because of course. You need to be able to buff those Repentia Sisters. One Battle Sister squad with just bolt guns um, and chain swords, and then uh, two units of ten Sister Repentias. Um, three Seraphim squads with Inferno pistols, and that's a three by five. So three, uh, actually, yeah, three units of uh, three. Uh, I'm sorry, two. Yeah, so two it's a little weird format. Here. And, two units uh, of Seraphim. Repentia can only go up to nine. And Repentia can only go up to nine. Think. I'm just so used to seeing that number nine in Battle Scribe, and then just assuming that the sergeant is the tenth one. So, not with Serpentia. So no, not with Serpentia. They lost their sergeant. Their sergeant became its own unit. So to explain that detachment, because I've been playing around with sisters, um, they generate an extra miracle dice every game turn, or every uh, yeah every get battle round, um, and the uh, Seraphim are just there to come in and use their one CP strat so that they shoot at the end of the movement phase. Um, well, actually, they shoot as they are placed. So technically, you can come in with them, shoot, and then if you removed enemies, you can then place your uh, remaining reserves closer, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to come in and shoot four melted guns with each of those Seraphim units. Um, and then the Repentia just hit like a truck because they're bloody rose Repentia. They just do. Um, they also make insane charges with the miracle dice. dice. The- so the plan, I think, is you outflank one of the sisters' repentia and both of the seraphim, and then the other sisters' repentia can start in their one rhino. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. There's one rhino, and then a salamander spearhead detachment with um, <clears throat> a captain on a bike, uh, one unit of scouts with just bolters, two blade guard veteran squad, three blade guard, two blade guard veteran squads, uh, one relic whirlwind scorpius. Two Devastator squads, three Eradicators, and a single lone drop pod, which he's probably regretting bringing. Um, if you watch that final table, 
Uh, but yeah, it's it's a very, very good list. Um, it gets in your face with the sisters early on. It has a good solid fire base with the Eradicators, the Devastator squads, and the Whirlwind Scorpius, which we didn't actually see used um, a whole lot in the final table. Uh, what's the verdict on the Relic Whirlwind Scorpius, Scari? Um, I think it's, you know, it's really good, points. Like, it's, it's, you know, it gets to shoot twice if it doesn't move. Uh, you're paying, yep. like, 140 points for a single Thunderfire Cannon that you have to pay CP to fire twice. Like, for, you know, a little bit under double, right? Like, you know, 50 points under, whatever. You get to shoot twice pretty much every turn, and you don't see, like you don't spend any CP on it and stuff. I think the Scorpius is excellent. Yeah, it's also strength 6, AP 2, 2 damage, so it does a good job killing kind of uh, the normal marine bodies that you see. You know, it lays into Intercessor equivalents. Uh, it can kill Outriders with strength 6. It can kill Blade Guard veterans um, pretty reliably if, if you it does get into Blade Guard veteran range, just because they, they don't have that there's not as many wounds and it can shoot twice. You do have to shoot twice in the Blade Group Veterans and hope they don't roll a ton of 4-ups, but it's very doable. Um, and for for this particular style of list, uh, you don't really want to get close to it. The Sisters will zone you out. They will die. The Seraphim will do a good job harassing uh, harassing backline units or uh, kind of blocking. Um, and then obviously, once you get close to it, you've got to deal with all that shooting and the Blade Guard Veterans and the Smash Captain so, it's a very good list. It's it's a uh, it's a very interesting. The kind thing of list. I'll say is it's actually very similar in philosophy to John Lennon's list. So take mm-hmm. note, people trying to figure out ninth. It doesn't actually expose anything turn one necessarily. It has enormous amounts of stuff that hits extremely hard with shooting coming in from reserves, and it has extremely hard hitting melee that if you get close to their army will just eat you for lunch. Mm-hmm. It does make me very sad that I can't bring the firepower that Space Marines have with a sister's list right now, but I'm hoping that with the multi-melta update, Retributors will be somewhat like Eradicators. But um, yeah, this is a very scary firebase paired with some very aggressive uh, Bloody Rose. Mm. All right. Uh, and then in 10th place, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take over this one. Uh, we've got a, an Adeptus Mechanicus list with a, a Mars Strike Force with Belisarius Call a Tech Priest Engine Seer, and a Tech Priest Manipulus? Manipulus? Um, Manipulus, excuse me. The Engine Seer is the Warlord with uh, the Learnings of the Genitor Warlord trait. Uh, three units of Catafron Breachers, one with uh, the Heavy Arc Rifles, uh, two with the Heavy Arc Riders, and one with the Plasma and the Phosphor Blaster. Uh, one unit of three Iron Strider Bellastariuses with the Twin Cognizant Last Cannon. Two units of Cerberus Raiders, uh, one Onager Doomcrawler, two Scorpius Disintegrators, and two Archaeopter Fusilovs uh, with Cognus Heavy uh, Stubbers and a Chaff Launcher. And that is the Admech list. I really like this Admech list. So <clears throat> it shoots really, really well. Between the, the all the Cataphron, um, they're, they're so durable. They put out a ton of shots. Uh, and then it does a really good job zoning as well with the Iron Striders and the uh, the vehicles, the Scorpius Disintegrators and the Cerberus Raiders. Um, so it, it's very much an admech list that is uh, kind of a more traditional gunline list, um, though you do have some speed in the Iron Striders, the Archaeopters, and the Cerberus Raiders. So it, it's not a complete gunline list. Um, Those Raiders, you, by you the know, way, are like money. So good. They're, they're In 9th edition, they're just insane. They do so much work. Um, they're hard to kill. They they mess with your opponent. They they can take out you know key small units. 
that they can get to. Um, and then the shooting that this list puts out is insane. It, you know, I, I, I first I thought, I was like, oh, I expected to see Castellan robots, because Castellan robots do have a lot of shooting, um, but he doesn't really need them. Um, they're, they're kind of overkill on this list. Uh, the one, the one thing I don't know anything about is the Archaeopter. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily know much about the Archaeopter. Uh, it looks like it might just be a really good flying harass unit. They are really cheap. Where you know one's 150 points and the other is 130 points. Um, do do you guys have anything else to add about the Archaeopters? It's just got a lot of DACA and it can bomb you. It's it's also just it's good for the points as far oh, as its durability. They also have a strat to turn off all your auras if they fly near you. Oh, that's really powerful. Yeah. You, now the thing about the Admech planes is they're also incredibly maneuverable for planes. Like they can they they can essentially do what Eldar planes do which is do a double move, but the first pivot is the start of their move, and the second pivot is at any point during their move. So they don't have to finish their move to second pivot, which means they can, like, fly around corners and, like, just do some crazy stuff. Can do a 180. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's really cool. Um, I really I really do like the... I really do like this list a lot. Uh, Alright, and then finally... Do you guys have anything else to add about that? Yeah, he put in the like one of the best units for the points is the uh, disintegrator. Scorpius disintegrators are amazing. Yeah, they're they're, they're so good. We, and we we completely so in this ninth edition craze, we're talking about you know about white scars and blood angels and maybe necrons when their codex comes out, uh, harlequins, kind of chaos based death guard, particular world change, you know, but. Admech were really good at the end of 8th edition. They're one of the armies that we were genuinely concerned about um, if there were actually tournaments. Um, so it you know it's good to see a top 10 uh, Admech list, and someone went 5-1 and one as well. Uh, so Admech are still very alive and viable. And John didn't even use all of the units that Admech can potentially use. There are still more units that Admech have that actually can put in a lot of work. Um, he didn't have a knight, for instance. He didn't have any of the... Sicarians. Um, he, he didn't have Castellan robots. So, all right. And then finally, uh, the last five and one player in eleventh place. We've got Salamander's uh, Salamander successor chapter, actually uh, ran by Mr. Tim Pinney. Um, so this is uh, the long range marksman and master artisans, kind of your bread and butter Salamanders list that you saw everyone run uh, with relics of the chapter for an extra relic. Uh, the Smash Captain on a bike. With the Salamander's Mantle, that, that's the Toughness Bajillion Salamander Captain that we all know and love. A Lieutenant with the Obsidian Aquila, a Primaris Chaplain, two, three units of Scout Squads with Combat Knives, so close combat scouts, uh, one unit of Flamestorm Regressors, one unit of one Centurion Assault Squad with Hurricane Bolters and Flamers, uh, which is actually kind of interesting, uh, Relic Whirlwind Scorpius, an Inceptor Squad, five men Inceptor Squad with Plasma Exterminators, two Outrider Squads, and two Eradicator squads. So uh, I, I don't want to say it's your traditional Salamanders list, um, although it does kind of hold the spirit of the traditional Salamanders list that we have been seeing, um, with the exception of the Centurion Assault Squad, um, which I personally do not agree with. That is 350 points on you know in a squad that um, is Salamanders, so um, you, you can outflank them. You can't really shoot them up the board like with Raven Guard and White Scars. Uh, what do you all think? I think that uh, Centurions are still quite good in, like, you know, if you're not prepared for them, they still shoot a lot. They still kill a lot of things. You know, they're not 
probably not the most efficient, which is one of the reasons why this list isn't like way, way at the top, right? In terms of, you know, you know, uh, what, how good it is, but like, you shouldn't just discount the amount, like Centurions still shoot as much as they did before. And if you're out of position, like I recently played a game with Centurions with my Templars, I tabled like 200 gaunts in three turns, you know, and, and it's, it's no joke. Like they can still do a lot of work. I yeah, absolutely. overall really like this list. It's extremely powerful if you know how to use it. Um, especially because they have the extended range when you bring in the flamers from reserve. Uh, there's a lot of things you can just delete from the game. And um, you can bring them in in successive waves if you want. So for example, you can outflank the centurions and the aggressors, or just the aggressors. I mean, aggressors are very affordable at 6 power level. They come in on a flank and simply delete um, all of the stuff that's near them as they come in. On the following turn, there's now fewer screens and the eradicators come in and delete more things. So it's very hard to screen against this um, because he can just get rid of your screens with shooting. He doesn't even need to commit anything too important. Um, or alternatively, he can be extremely aggressive. Like if those Centurion Assault Squads get close to you, um, probably by outflanking in this list, then um, if he needs to be aggressive, he can still get up the board and get close to you. It's just, it doesn't have quite the polish of John Lennon's list in terms of like everything in the army has like this nitpick down to the last detail abilities to allow them to do all these things like not fail charges on a, a smash captain who has 11 plus attacks at damage three. Um, <laughs> but I still think it has a lot of cool tools and overall it has a solid strategy for ninth. Again, really solid shooting coming in from reserve to delete your opponent's important things combined with mobile elements to hold objectives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, dude, well, James. I mean, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to add one thing and the, the fact that he has that, uh, that, that captain on a bike there. I mean, that, that does so much for a fire base army. He can put out so many fires for you just, you know, on command. He's quick. He can get straight into the fray, and he keeps your shooting units out of combat. Yeah, his he thing is, them indefinitely. he's not going to be able to delete an Imperial Knight in one round, but he's basically impossible to remove. He's not the the Lord of Change with impossible robes regenerating wounds, ignore one damage from every attack, but he is extremely tough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is critical for firebase lists like that to have linchpins like him and the Centurion Assault Squad um, just to kind of deter your opponent from having their way with you. So that, it's, a, it's a really good list. Uh, obviously, he went 5-1, and one, so he didn't do that bad with it. Um, and that's it. There's a lot of Space Marines, a lot of Blade Guard veterans, uh, which are definitely going to be the new Eliminators, um, whereas we saw three Eliminators in every Space Marine list last edition. In this list, this edition, we're seeing a C3 uh, Blade Guard veterans in every single Space and Marine list. And the Eradicators. List. Uh, uh, the Eradicators, we're going to see a lot too. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, Eradicators were missing from one Space Marine list, whereas Blade Guard Vengeance were missing from zero Space Marine lists. So Fair enough. Oh, Fair no. enough. Uh, I mean, listen, we're going to see you them saved that one, didn't you? in spades. I did. I did. I was waiting. I gotcha, Skari. Uh, all right. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, we're going to go and talk about the, we're going to talk about predictions for the two codexes coming out, although we're definitely going to have a big episode uh, on that next week as well um, for the first two codexes of ninth edition. Now, if you are curious about uh, the rest of the lists for the Iron Halo, and also there were seven 
GTs in total that happened just this weekend alone, right? So, uh, you know, obviously, Iron Halo, there were 108 players who showed up and played Iron Halo. However, there were easily more players than that that showed up all over the world playing in GTs. And so if you want to check that out, if you want to see the breakdown, also... I've heard uh, a little birdie told me, actually a big birdie, it's Peter the Falcon, uh, told me that he has enough lists and matchup data now to actually get relevant data for 9th edition. Um, It took a while, but we got there. So tune in the 40k Stats Center this week to check that out, 40k Stats Center. They're going to break down all of the lists from this weekend, from the GTs this weekend, as well as maybe bringing you some stats. Uh, If not this coming Stats Center, definitely the following Stats Center so stay tuned for that. It's going to be a stat center to remember. It'll be the first relevant uh, data of ninth edition and a whole lot of tournaments to talk about. So super excited about that. Um, for one shining moment in these dark, dark times, we had a regular weekend of 40k with a whole lot of GTs and a super major. I'm going to call it right now. It's a 2020 super major um, that actually happened that we could talk about. So it's very, very exciting. All right. We'll catch you after this break. Starting now. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Hey, YouTube. You are getting an ad, too. Uh, I'm going to make this one simple. Sign up to Patreon if you like the podcast. It helps put food on the table for all of us. Uh, I know Ascari, James, and Brandon are all hungry, hungry boys, um, even though I don't think I've ever bought them all pizza. I apologize. Uh, however, if you sign up for the Patreon, maybe I'll buy everyone pizza the next episode. Um, but anyways, patreon.com slash chapter tactics. We give away cool stuff. We have exclusive content, and uh, we ask, ask answer questions live at the end of every episode. So check that out. And now back to your regularly scheduled episode of Chapter Tactics. And we're back. Brandon, Scary James, did you enjoy that pizza the patrons bought you? Mm-mm. Hawaiian thank, pineapple thank pizza. Humor. Hawaiian pineapple pizza? What kind of monster do you think I am? <laughs> God, I love Mexican pizza. <laughs> Me- Mexican pizza in Boston. Ooh. That's a little uh, risky. 
Bazos. as far away from Mexico as you can get. It, not completely, obviously. Um, and then uh, Brandon had pizza with caffeine in it. So, <laughs> all right. We're back. <laughs> um, so, we, we had a lot of lists uh, we talked about this weekend in particular. Uh, obviously, Space Marines are really strong. They're going to be on the top of, they're going to be the number one topic going into this weekend when the new Space Marine Codex comes out. We're going to see, uh, we've already seen some uh, things from warmer communities so far that kind of show us what's going on. Space Wolves look like they get a really good stratagem, the ability to heroically intervene army wide, uh, which is crazy. Um, it's intense. Just, it, yeah, it's. It's uh, it's pretty crazy, and then on top of that, I have no reason to believe that nothing else changes for Space Marines. Um, GW hasn't come out and announced that they're nerfing Space Marines or that they're taking care of them. Uh, as a matter of fact, Space Marines are getting more cool new models as well. Uh, maybe they'll get points changes that help them out. Although I doubt it. These codexes were printed, you know, six seven months ago or however long ago they were. Um, so GW doesn't know what's going on. They certainly aren't nerfing Blade Guard veterans and Eradicators anytime soon. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it, what, what do you all what do you all ex- kind of expect to see out of the Space Marine Codex, uh, and then the Necron Codex as well? And where's the kind of the future of Ninth Edition look like after all of this relevant data? I think you're gonna end up seeing just a metric shit ton of heavy intercessors. Because mm-hmm. all we needed was another type of intercessor. <laughs> Well, if that's yeah. true, the next step is you're going to see a metric ton of damage three weapons with AP two or better. Is there a lot of that? Not and really. The cycle will continue. Space Marines. Space Marines have that. Um, the new upgrades to melta weapons make them a reasonable choice because they're minimum damage three at half range. There it is. Oh yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty solid. Uh, I could definitely see Space Marines shifting to. Uh, four Devastator Melta multi-meltas and then four Grav Cannon multi-meltas. I could see a shift like that. The price isn't too bad. Um, they're pretty comparable. And the the melt the multi-meltas. Ever since uh, I got sisters used uh, sisters used multi-melta squads on me, um, I've just I've been a really big fan of them. They're really good. Um, obviously the Dominion Retributor, whatever the heavy the heavy sisters. Retributors squads are, are the big guns. Retributors are the special weapons. There you go. Um, but yeah, obviously they are can be a different beast entirely. Uh, they get access to a lot of cool stuff. However, Space Wolf Long Things um, with grab cannons now, with the with the ability to have access to the grab cannon stratagem, if that's a thing, Space Wolf Long Things with grab cannons and Space Wolf Long Things with multi multis sounds like it may be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking that grab cannons are probably not changing with this new codex because Ninth was only no. out for a short time, but Chapter Approved comes out in what November. But then December. December, and then those rules were being written just after Ninth was released. I'm hoping there's an update for Grav in there, but we'll see. Because uh, Grav Devastators were ubiquitous in the top 10. Some players taking two squads of Grav Devastators, and especially because you don't need to take the drop pod anymore, you can just outflank them. Um, they're extremely good with that strat, and they're a tiny bit undercosted at 120 points for five. All right, now Scar, you get the hard question. Yes. What about non-Space Marine factions? So let's stop talking about Space Marines for ten seconds uh, and talk about the other factions. So Necrons are getting some cool stuff. Uh, they are getting the Silent King, um, which we do know more about. He looks good, not awful, uh, but that is my opinion. Uh, Scar, what do you think? 
I'm really curious to see, you know, especially if they keep the the schedule for like chapter approved and stuff for like late in the year, you know, what sort of changes they will. And if like these like weapon changes and stuff that they've been hinting at, like flamers and heavy bolts going to do damage and power weapons going to plus one strength, like power weapons, you know, for like howling banshees going to strength four all of a sudden become like a lot more like viable in certain situations and scenarios. Necrons, uh, like their changes to reanimation protocols, means that like one wounded models tend to be more survival now than they ever have been, uh, or in a long time. And uh, I'm I'm actually curious to see for Necrons specifically how their like um, like the coding thing happens because they're gonna have like a, a like a a six six choices that they can sort of assign to each turn, sort of like your you know your Devastated Doctrine and your Tactical Doctrine, but the Necron player gets to pick like what turn they're going to use each one in, and then each one has like two choices to choose from. So I'm really curious to see how that sort of like metagaming dynamic works, where you can pick and choose based on your opponent or the mission or whatever. So I, you know, once we have those codex in our hands and we can see the format of these books and what like sort of information they're putting in and what sort of game mechanics they're adding into the codexes, then we'll really sort of have a better understanding of what codexes will be in the fruit be in the future and it'll give us a better picture. So until then, you basically find what kills marines in your codex, put that in your list, and practice a lot. All right. Now, another cool thing about the Necron Codex is it is going to set a precedent, right? So Necrons are getting a lot more than what what we've gotten before. They've got they've received in the past. Uh, now, I don't know if they're just getting the Death Guard treatment or the Ninth Edition treatment. What I mean by that is, in Eighth Edition, Death Guard got uh, special treatment where they got all this cool stuff, all these new units, all these cool sculpts at the beginning of the edition, and along with a shiny new codex, and then were completely forgotten about by GW, and then no one else got Death Guard levels of releases. Except for maybe Admech at the end, right? And even then, Admech didn't get as many new units as Death Guard did. So, I don't know if the Necrons are, they're just the Death Guard of 9th edition, where they're going to get all these cool models, all these cool rules, and then just going to be completely forgotten about for the rest of the edition by GW, or if this is a precedent that GW is setting, in that, yes, multiple factions are going to get this. Like It's not just going to be Space Marines and Necrons, we're getting, Tyranids are getting cool stuff, and Eldar, um, I think it's the former, uh, I think, I think unfortunately, um, just from the history I've seen of, uh, GW in the past and, and the way they've kind of made decisions as a company, I feel like we're going to kind of have a repeat of 8th edition where we have a box set that is Necrons and Space Marines. Necrons are going to get a lot of cool stuff, especially because you want to sell to sell the models as the edition comes out to get all the people really excited for the new edition. Um, and then they're going to move, kind of, kind of, kind of move away from it, maybe release like a dozen Primaris lieutenants, uh, and then we're going to recycle the new edition with the with the new Xenos faction and Space Marines. So I think that's the direction 9th edition is heading. Uh, the other thing I'm kind of curious about is where we're going to see Space Marines and Necrons towards the end of 9th edition or towards the middle of 9th edition. So uh, another thing that I've kind of seen um, GW trend towards is traditionally the first couple of codexes they release in a new edition tend to be good at first, but end up falling off 
uh, towards the end of the edition, right? So, like, in um, 7th edition, you had, like, the Necron Decurion, um, which introduced the formation-based attachments, and that was the new hotness, but it quickly fell off as more and more codexes um, were released. Uh, in 8th edition, you had the Astro Militarum Codex, the Space Marine Codex, and the Dark, the Death Guard Codex all kind of released super early. Um, or I believe Chaos Space Marine Codex. They were all released really early. Um, they were really powerful, and then they fell off. Space Marines for the first half of 8th edition were awful, and they fell off really hard, so much so that we were collectively as a community complaining about how bad they were. Oh, how little did we know GW would listen to us? Or how... Anyways. Um... So will this edition be no different? Will the early codexes uh, come out out of the gates really strong and then get worse as the the power creep, the codex power creep moves on? Um, or will GW turn over a new life? Will they realize that this is the kind of same situation that they've you know been they've had with codexes in the past in other previous editions? Uh, and will they um, bring the heat with all the codexes? That, those are the questions I ask myself going into uh, a new era of ninth edition. Yeah, if I had to speculate, Pablo, I'd think that um, Games Workshop considers the 8th edition Space Marine Codex, the first iteration, um, a failure. Um, because it did exactly the pattern you said. It was one of the first codexes of the 8th edition. And very quickly, we had about a year and a half, two years or so, where the Space Marine Codex had really fallen behind, and people didn't play Space Marines much anymore. And I think that they're going to want to avoid that. So my intuition says that we're not going to see a replay of 8th edition. It's going to be a bit more level this time. Um, but they're still going to find ways to get you to buy that new codex and possibly buy new models that come with it um, with new and exciting kits is my um, what my intuition is thinking. Because Necron's got new kits. They haven't got new kits in ages. Uh, Space Marine's got new kits. They got new kits months ago. Um, so... <laughs> My intuition says they're going to try and make the codexes more on the same level, so you don't have Space Marines getting left behind for a year and a half again. But they're going to increase revenue by simply introducing new cool models that everyone's going to want to buy. At least, that's what I think will happen. You know, I hate to be the pessimist here, but I don't think GW even has a plan at all. I just think they fly by the seat of their pants. They know that they need to sell models, so they end up doing things in a haphazard and oftentimes heavy-handed way and that's why you ended up with the eighth edition the way that it was um seventh edition before that um you know space marines coming out in the way that they have just kind of goes to show you that even with as much play testing and you know uh, acknowledgement of the community's you know uh, gripes and complaints it, they still have a product to sell and um even though they may not you know, put out there that, that they know that, that uh, rules sell models, it, they do. And, and they, they know that. And I think that's why they're amping Space Marines as much as they are now is because they are the poster boys. They are the, the quintessential heroes of our, uh, of our game. So um, again, I just think that they're going to throw this out there and they'll just kind of put everything else out afterwards haphazardly like they always have. Yeah. Um, you, you know, there, there definitely is precedent for that, James. Um, and, uh, in the comments below uh don't don't be nice be be nice in general um but yeah uh you know i think there's definitely be a lot of people who definitely feel that way um and G the thing i as i mentioned last episode uh, the thing i dislike is that gw isn't doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot to make us to put our minds at ease right so it 
it doesn't take a lot for a company to be a little transparent and let us know like, hey, we understand these issues. Here's kind of a rough outline of, of what we're doing going forward. We saw them do that at the beginning of 8th edition, where they said, hey, the, we, we have all these indexes. Things are going to be a little shaky at first, but we're going to pop out codexes as fast as we pop out Primaris Lieutenants, everyone. And they did. They did do that. We got all of the codexes in less than a year. Uh, well, I don't think less than a year, but it took about a year for us to get all of the codexes. And, and they were transparent with us throughout the entire time. Uh, this time, towards the end of 8th edition, they have been more transparent than in the past, um, but I feel like they've moved away from it a little bit, and ninth edition has been more hype and less planning. Um, now, is that because of COVID? Uh, you, you know, like, do they just have less resources they're working with? Um, is that is that a marketing thing? Like, I don't I don't know why. Um, but uh, in terms of the people who, and I'm sure there are people who side with you, James. Um, uh, you know, th- there's no reason not to think that right now. Um, which, uh, if you are a person working for GW who cares about that kind of stuff, is a little concerning. So, yeah, like we'll I see. said, I don't uh, want it to sound pessimistic. It's just I'm going off of what I've seen so far. I've been playing right. this game since the end of second edition, and every time I I get my hopes up for a, a you know a, a well laid out, well um, released edition, it, you just, they, they fall short. They always kind of like have a good intention towards the beginning, and then just kind of fizzles. Yep. Yeah, that well, we'll see. Well, we shall wait and see. For those of you who uh, are interested, look at this weekend. This weekend is going to be huge. It's going to set all the precedent for ninth edition, um, and uh, GW is going to have a lot of uh, a lot of data, a lot of stuff to give us um, for ninth edition. Now, uh, Scary and Brandon, do you have anything else to add to speculation? Something that I did notice in in the seven big events that happened this weekend is there was quite in amount of variety and i know peter the falcon's going to talk about this going to break this down on stat center but if you have a faction that you're enjoying playing and you're having fun with you know even though it has struggles in like some missions or against like space rains or whatever like don't don't lose hope just kind of like think outside the box take this time to like play units you've never played for before like there was a guy that went top three with 20 helions in his all witch cult list like i'm not kidding like there's there's some really cool lists that are like floating around there so i see that and i see hope and i'm like that's cool that means that you can kind of put like some random stuff together like 90 demonets and go have fun you know what i mean like i'm those are some of the lists that i'm seeing at the top of some of these events it is still a lot of space marines though it's it's a lot of variety i agree with you scary there's definitely a lot of variety um, and I have seen some, also some interesting lists. I saw a Tyranid list in the top three, which I, which excited me because I've been banging the Tyranids aren't as bad as people say they are drum uh, for a while now. Um, this one placing is the just answer listen. to all your prayers, Pop. <laughs> Tyranid players, <laughs> copy copy Tim Bauda, Tim Buda. I don't know how to pronounce your name, Tim. I apologize. Uh, go to 40kstats.com, look at the top fours, and uh, copy Tim's list, Tim's Tyranid list, and uh, run that. Take that and roll with it. <laughs> um, I promise you, Tyranid players, uh, there's going to be a point when you're average again. Um, but anyways, joking aside, uh, I do I do like a, a lot of the variety, and um, it, it does feel like it's Space Marines versus the world. But the world collectively um, is pretty, you know, varied. So, 
I can't wait to see some of the stuff that people come up with once the uh, the big names start coming back. Oh yeah, and and that's the other thing too, right? We we talked about this before the podcast, uh, James, and that was that uh, even though there were a lot of really good players out there in Halo, there weren't a lot of traditional big names, right? Like so, you haven't seen like Nick Donavati, Richard Siegler, who who's the ITC champ, reigning ITC champion, um, you know, Brandon Grant, um, and some of these other big name players show up now. Traditionally, with Iron Halo, uh, you do get a lot more, you know, kind of like bigger name top ITC players playing um, at the Iron Halo specifically. But it's not it's not like on the same caliber as like a Nova or, uh, you know, the LVO or WTC, um, sim- simply because, you know, the Iron Halo hasn't quite made the push to Super Major yet. Uh, Jason, I know you're there. You would have hit it this year, but, you know, unfortunate circumstances. So there is also that as well um but also if you look across the board at you know the seven gts um there aren't a lot of names i recognize in these top fours uh normally around this time we'd be in the thick of 40k tournaments and you know we'd have a a heavy hot itc champion race to look at and we you know see these names see you know really big names all over the place in these tournaments but we aren't really seeing them um which you know makes perfect sense considering the current climate agreed so yep all right uh, that that is it for the episode. Are right, is there anything else like either of you'd like to add um, before we move on to the ending, the conclusion? Nope. All right. Okay. So um, as I've been uh, uh, spitting out the episode, uh, patrons do get to ask questions at the end of every episode, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So the first question comes from patron Tim. Also, if you'd like to ask us questions, head on over to Patreon. Okay, uh, patron Tim wants to know, with the continued increase in size of Riccio's mustache, how much bigger will the venue hall LVO need to be in 2021 to encompass it? James, you are the resident Reese expert. What do you think? I think he needs to cut that damn thing off, is what I think. But, I mean, his head was already pretty big. We yeah, were able to yeah, stuff know, that in Somebody on, on Signals the other day said that with Reese and that mustache, they should change the name from Signals from the Frontline to uh, Signals from the Frontier. I think it's a pretty apt description <laughs> of what the hell's going on over there. Right on. Uh, all right. Um, uh, someone asking about the um, the controversy that happened, which we already covered. Uh, someone wants me to cover the drama because he needs 40k gossip and says that someone else says that I love drama. That is true. Um, I, I'm a, a gossip Gabby. Uh, I like hearing all about uh, James's secret orc list and how he's going to move away from chaos or uh brandon's actual actually not a robot all of that good good gossip that's um, just slander at this point <laughs> uh all right uh patron kelsey wants to know what lessons can tos learn from the uh from the iron halo event that is a good question scary you're a to why don't you take this one uh you cut out there for a second so oh, i sorry. heard like, um, robot noises Patron Kelsey wants to know what lessons can Tios learn from the Iron Halo event, like in terms of the drama. No, oh, just in general. Is there any anything that can be learned from the Iron Halo for Tios? So, well, one of the main things you know is as a To, don't be afraid to make calls, right? Especially if you feel that that's kind of like what's best for your event. Um, don't be afraid to just like say, "Hey, this is how I'm going to be running this event, or this is how this event is going to be run, or how we are running this event." Um, and some people will agree, some people will disagree. But when you're building an event you, and you have like a certain vision, 
you know, it's okay to sort of, you know, make sure that that vision kind of matches your like thought process of what you want or what you'd like to achieve. And uh, you don't, people don't have to agree with it. You know, just try and be a good person, be accommodating to people who go to your event. Um, you know, if and reach out to for help with other TOs. There's like the you know ITC tournament organizers Facebook group, which is like a Facebook group that's you know for organizers by organizers sort of thing. And um, and you know, reach out if you need help. There's tons of people out there who are willing to like give you advice and tell you about like certain scenarios, situations that they've had to go through. So don't don't try and do everything alone and by yourself. You know, there's always something that you can kind of do. So that, that would be like some of my main suggestions there. Right on. All right. Uh, patron Jake wants to know, uh, he wants to start off by congratulating John Lennon for the victory. However, with the seemingly narrower list of names that keep topping the majors tournament circuit scene is 40 K on the precipice of needing a pro circuit quote, uh, just so everyone else has a chance. Absolutely not. Uh, so no way. The, thing you need to understand is anyone can be as good as john lennon with enough practice um, maybe not as good as john lennon but you can get on that quote-unquote pro circuit if you understand the fundamentals of 40k so we're looking at john lennon's list not only is it very highly polished the thought behind it is he can go first or second no problem uh, his hard-hitting units will almost always participate in the game because of the way the list is built he can play defensively or aggressively. So if you built a list the way that John Lennon built a list and you understood how to play that list the way John Lennon understands how to play that list, then you wouldn't be mentioning pro circuits. Um, so the opportunity is there for improvement. And I'm hoping that this podcast is helping people to understand these sorts of concepts and why these top 11 lists all did so well due to how they were designed and how they interact with the ninth edition rules. Yeah, um, so I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, and I agree with all of you. Uh, however, I do love the idea of a pro circuit. Um, however, it it needs to be done properly. It needs to be done by um, someone who knows what they're doing. Like if you even if you look at like Wizards of the Coast and what Magic is doing with their pro circuit, they have really they have two pro circuits right now. They have um, the Mythic Invitationals or the Mythic Championships, um, which are uh, basically uh, I don't I'm not even sure if that's what they're called. Um, cause they keep changing their names on their tournaments, but essentially it's just a list of, of pro magic players and streamers and personalities who go to these invite only events. And it's not really clear how you can, you know, become one or go to these events, right? It's really like these 32 selected salaried players who get paid to play magic and that's it, right? Um, whereas there's another way to play magic and that's, uh, to go onto the pro tour magic and that's, uh, through the Pro Tour, through the PPTQs, through qualifiers. And that's very much you get into the Pro Tour by your own merit. And that's a lot more inclusive. And that's something I think 40K should strive for. Um, I definitely don't think uh, we should... I think we should still have an, uh, events that are open to the public for anyone to join in and compete. Um, and we should definitely reward players for doing really, really well. Um, but an exclusive circuit I don't think is the right answer unless you have something like like uh, a very clear structured way to get to it and give, make it so that everyone has access to it, no matter what country they live in, um, no matter, you know, uh, what tournaments they go to, um, 
you know, it, it's it's a very tricky it's a very tricky topic. I think that the one of the biggest appeals of just the ITC in general is the fact that it's just so open. Mm-hmm. Right? I think yeah, I, I think scary. I think the fact yep. that, you know, you can literally like go to pretty much any country in the world and any country in the world has some sort of ITC circuit. Uh some sort of event that is run using like the standards and and scoring and you know of the ITC's circuit and it's open to pretty much anybody and I think that's what has led to it being so successful. Like down the line, if it gets really big and they have like they might do like invitational tournaments, right? But I don't think maybe you know an incorporation of some sort of ELO ranking so that if like a player like Nick Nadavati you know goes up around one and like you know loses because he decided to play White Scars last minute at the LVO or whatever against like Joe Blow that went to the LVO for the first time and it's his first tournament like he should get a huge like ELO boost over Nick's you know that basically was like mm-hmm. you know wouldn't really change too much if he <laughs> beat somebody like that like newer player right so I think there's lots of expansion and growth options but I don't think that it should be so like exclusive that like that Right. Yeah, I um, agree with Scary. I mean, I think one of the biggest appeals for me is the fact that you go to a tournament. The larger the tournament, the better chances you're going to play against somebody that is one of those big names we talked about before. And that is the way to up your game. It's it's part of the competitive spirit. You don't want to sit there playing the same kinds of people or, or people who are only maybe as good as you are to get any better. You want to play against people who should kick your butt, you know, and, and you should learn from those kinds of things. When you take players out of of the uh the mix and you put them in their own league or their their own set of standings then you're removing um that that possibility for a lot of other players who do want the competition mm-hmm. and um i mean the, the tournament structure now does permit for for that to happen um as Scari said there are tournaments that do invitationals and that's that's okay um i think that at some point yeah there should be something where people who are putting a lot of time and effort into their gameplay should be compensated, but there's better ways to do it than just saying, okay, these guys are set as pros um, and they are no longer able to, you know, compete in standard events. That, that makes no sense. All right. Uh, <clears throat> uh, next pa- question comes from patron Dan, which space ring chapters will benefit the most from the new ATV and the flame strike turret? White scars and salamanders. Moving on. <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking. I have no idea. No. We'll wait and see. I'd say White Scars will like the new ATVs. We'll see. Yeah, I, th- I think we have to wait for the Codex to really get a, a good answer on that question. Um, and then Kane wants to know, what list personally that did well were the biggest surprises to you? So, real quick, everyone, the biggest surprise list in the in the top that we discussed, maybe not necessarily the Iron Halo, but uh, in general that you saw this weekend. Uh, for me, it was Dan's list with Sisters and Salamanders. I mean, it's a good list. It's just not one that people are talking about. I mean, how about the whole Black Templars list? I didn't expect to see that. I, didn't expect I to did see not that expect either. to um, see Black Templars at all. No, my, um, yeah, no, I'm definitely go with the Black Templars. That's the one that that took me by surprise for sure. Uh, although Ben is is a really good player, and um, I, looking at the list now, I can definitely see someone doing really well with a list like that. Um, all right, and then uh, TJ Collier, speaking of Black Templars, wants us to talk about how Black Templars got second. We did, TJ, uh, and that is it. That is the end of the episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, James, Scari, and Brandon for coming on. Do any of you have any plugs? 
in my nope. in my house. There's tons of plugs. Fair enough. Are you hold uh, on a second, Scar? Do you have kids? I do. Yeah. Okay, so you're allowed dad jokes. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It is a badge of honor <laughs> that I wear. Yeah. <laughs> All right on. All right now, Scar. If they want to listen to your sultry tones, where can they find you? Uh, head on over to YouTube. That's uh, YouTube.com. Uh, Scardcast at S K A. R-E-D-C-A-S-T. And all the links to all my social media are on there. Just put up a really cool Meta Monday where I break down all the lists from all seven of these GTs that happened. Uh, the top four lists of each one. So, yeah, check it out. And also, you can tune in and watch them live stream uh, Black, Temp- Paint Black Templar uh, Terminators with Storm Shields and Thunderhammers. <laughs> yes, like ten huh. years ago. Uh, right on. Uh, Brandon and James, do either of you have any plugs? So I'm still running a Facebook group for Astro Militarum. If you send me a friend request on Facebook and let me know you want to discuss competitive Imperial Guard tactics, I'll let you in. Right on. James, City of Boston? Uh, well, you want to plug Boston? I'm good. <laughs> that's the most you Boston can have this place. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to talk about the, all that delicious Boston Mexican food? Oh man, you're just trying to make me depressed, man. You know how much I want like a real like tacos el gordo taco or or anything like that. Tacos al pastor. Oh, right on. Speaking of which, uno- unofficial sponsor of today's podcast is uh, Tacos El Gordo Las Vegas. I uh, came home to some delicious tacos al gordo and uh, wait, are you joking? Feel- no, I'm serious. <laughs> you're gonna have to bleep this. Fuck you, Pablo. <laughs> It's not getting beeped, but I, I definitely think our, our patrons and other listeners are going to get a real laugh out of that. Um, anyways, <laughs> thank you all for listening. You're all the best listeners in the world. If you stuck around this long to listen to our shenanigans, I extra, extra appreciate you more than I appreciate everyone else, but only by a little bit because I do appreciate you all. And you are all, of course, the best listeners in the world. And as always, have a good one. <laughs>